This week is Behalot. So Behalot Echa begins by the bed of the wine, Moshe Lemor, the bed of Aharon, speak to Aharon, the Amarta Elab, Behalot Echa, et Nerot. So when he is going to kindle the menorah, in Mul Peneha Menorah, towards the face of the menorah, Yairu Shivata Nerot, should be seven. A lamp's light. So this is already should keep us busy for a few minutes. What this pasuk is talking about. First, the question is, what is the connection between the end of last week's parasha and the beginning of this week's parasha? The end of last week's parasha talked about the inaugural sacrifices that the presidents brought when they inaugurated the mishkan, when they dedicated the mishkan. So what's the connection between the lighting of the menorah and the dedication of the mishkan? So, something uh, famous that Ashi says. Ashi says all the tribes were represented when it came to the inaugural sacrifices. Twelve tribes. Every day another tribe brought a korban. So it was a special holiday. But Aharon's tribe, which is the tribe of Levi, was not represented. So Aharon felt bad. You know, he wanted to be part of the service. So God said to Aharon, you're going to get a mitzvah on your own. And what is the mitzvah he's going to get? He's going to light the menorah and he's going to clean the menorah. Which means the job of the Quranim is to light the menorah every day and then in the morning to clean out the old ashes and the wicks in order to prepare it uh, for the next day. So the rabbis say, why is that an, why is that an appeasement? So they say that because the menorah is something that lasts forever. Because even after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, we still like the menorah, we still have the holiday of Hanukkah. So therefore, he got something that is uh, something that is uh, eternal. Beha'alotecha, it says when you will, literally means when you will lift the lamps. Beha'alotecha. Uh, so the law says that he has to light it in a way that it will... Um, the flame will kindle on its own. Because he has to hold the, the fire there until it catches where, you know, it can, um, it can rise by itself. And the rabbis also learned over here, that they put a, uh, like a step stool or a stair in front of the menorah, and the kohen would rise up the steps. So it's, it's when he rises up the step, in order to light the menorah. So two explanations of the word ba'alotecha. Number one, when you will cause the lights to rise. You have to light it in a way where it'll have uh, independence. It'll, it'll light by itself. And the second explanation is when you will rise up yourself on the step to light the menorah. Now, it says that the menorah has three... I was this already. Remember, we brought out the, the samples earlier in the year. Go back to the menorah. So there's three on one side, three on the other side, and one in the middle. All the lights of the menorah have to face the middle. So it was a way of lighting it where the three on the right side face the middle, and the three on the left side face the middle, and the middle one faced up. So that's what it means when it says, El Mul Pene Menorah. Now, Ya'iru Shvata Menorah. Baya'asken Aharon. And it says, Aharon did so. He lit the menorah. He uh, 
So we did it exactly like he was like he was told. Now, why is it that the menorah has to be lit in a way that the flames will uh, tilt towards the center? Because the purpose of the menorah was not for lighting. You know, you have light bulbs in your house, that's for illumination purposes. But God does not need light in the Beit HaMikdash. Wow. Happened over here. Okay, look at that. That's a beauty. Sounds like a prank. Hazak Ubaruch. All right. This is what no, somebody wrote Hazak Ubaruch on the Zoom. I can't believe you got it too. I got it too. Yeah, okay. So I can use this. They prepare me for Mag and David, I guess. <laughs> I don't know all the pranks now. <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's continue. Okay, so now. It says that, um, so why is it that the menorah has to be lit in a way that three to the right, three to the left, and it's all uh, towards the center? It's to show that it's not for illumination purposes. It's just for decorative purposes. Because if it was lit regular where the flames are going up, then it looks like you're using it for the light. But God says, I don't need your light. The Jewish people were in the desert for 40 years. There was no light. And Akadosh Baruch Hu was their light. So God can provide light even in the darkest places. So in God's house, he doesn't need the light. So the purpose of the menorah was not in order to generate uh, uh, illumination. It was to fulfill the mezvah. So that's why uh, the Torah says it should be lit in, uh, in such a way. And this is the way the menorah was made. Akadosh Baruch Hu actually showed Moshe Whenever you see the word bezeh, it means like God pointed. God actually showed Moshe what the menorah is supposed to look like. And it is made out of miksha. What is miksha? Miksha means it is hammered. It's made from a, uh, a thick, solid block of gold. And they bang it with the, with the hammer and uh, the chisel. And uh, they actually uh, you know, form it from one piece. It's not made out of different components that they attach to each other, called miksha zahav. It was not made evarim evarim. It was not made of uh, separate pieces by molding them together. It was made uh, by one uh, banged, uh, or hammered, I guess they call it. Ad yirecha ba'ad pircha. So back to the, we learned this all many, many moons ago, that it had a base, uh, it also had flowers, if you remember, the different flowers, the decorative flowers. All that was hammered from within. They didn't add the flowers to the menorah. They had to bang it out. So it was actually difficult uh, difficult stuff. All the ornaments and the branches that were in the menorah, that was all from within. Uh, very, very uh, serious uh, handiwork. Just like Hashem showed to Moshe, so too they made the uh, the menorah and uh, the midrash writes that it was too difficult for the people to do and they just started the process but the menorah just came out on its own that's why the pasuk says uh, that actually God is the one that fashioned the menorah now we go to the next menorah the menorah 
take the Libyim. Now, how do you take the Libyim? So you don't take a person. So that she says, take them with words. That means you have to say to the Libyim, Ashrechem shetesku lehiyot shamashim lamakom. Fortunate are you that you are privileged to be the attendants of the omnipresent. That means the Libyim served Hashem. So take them, meaning uh, cajole them, praise them, that how fortunate are you? You are lucky that you are merited to be the attendants to serve HaKadosh Baruch So take them with words. And you have to purify them. This is the way you purify the Libyim. To sprinkle the special the special waters. Remember, we said there's is there's the para aduma, and the para aduma waters, they are purifying agents for corpse tuma. If anybody came in contact with a dead body, the only way to purify oneself was with the waters that have been at the ashes of the red cow. So let's take those ashes, sprinkle them in the water, just in case any of the Levi'im are tameh, so that will purify them. Now, this is a um, a very uh, very very important law. The Libyim are not allowed to have any hair on their body, so they have to take a razor and they shave all their hair. So they, I mean, bald, all their hair on the head, their eyebrows, uh, I guess their uh, their beards. Their uh, that's it. That, that that that's the law. The question is why. So he says, because the the Leviim were assigned to the, the service, Kapara ala bechorot. Then we learned that the firstborns were actually originally assigned to the tabernacle. But when they committed adultery with the golden calf, uh, so therefore they had to, they were replaced. Now the Avodazara is called the, um, the sacrifice of the dead. That's what they call Avodazara. And a leper, somebody has leprosy, is also called dead. So it's kikam teglahat kemitsuraim. Wow. So they needed uh, huh? they needed to be shaved like lepers. It's like a leprosy. A uh, leper has to shave all his body. So too, uh, as a kapara for the sin of the egel that the people did, so they shave their entire body. And that's, again, wow. So if you're, if you're a levi, that's what you got to go through. Now, what they did also was they have to purify their garments. Now they have to bring a sacrifice. They bring a, uh, a bull, a meal offering, which is made out of flour mixed with oil. They bring a second bull uh, for a, a sin offering. Now, um, this, is, uh, this is, again, their inaugural korban. Gather collect them, let them come in front of Hashem, and B'nai Yisrael will put their hands on the Levim. That was the the way that they would serve as kapara for those that worship the golden calf. So B'nai Yisrael would put their hands on them, and that was as if they were giving them assignment in order to do the uh, to do the service for them. And then it says, This is amazing. The uh, Aharon, 
had to waive the Leviim. Now, just like sometimes you take a Korban and they wave it. Up, down. I like this. But in this case, they Aaron had to wave the actual Leviim. See how strong Aaron had to be? He had to take the Levi, lift them up, down, and of course, like a Lulav. And we learned last week that there was over 22,000 Levim. So Aharon had to lift in one day 22,000 Levim. And that just shows you how uh, how strong uh, Aharon was. And he had to do that to all the, uh, all, all, all the families of uh, Levim. So that's... Uh, that's that. The Levim will take their hands and put it on the on the animals. The Asayt Echad Chata one is a sin offering. Veta Echad Olam one is an Ola. The Chaper again. This is atonement for the Amatat Levim of the Aaron with the Manab. Place the Levim in front of Aaron and his children. Then after a time to refine, we said, and they they are away. The Dalat Levim and Tok Bnei Israel. The Levim will be separated from the rest of the people. Vehayuli. So that's that's the story of the designation, really, of the tribe of Levi. So he says over here, so let's read Rashi over here, one Rashi. It says, just like they would wave the Qurban of a Mitzvah. So they had to wave the Levim. And it says in the Midrash, Shalosh Tinufot Neimlum Parashazu. It talks about three different wavings. The Shonal Ibn Kehat, the first one was for the Kehat family, like we learned, because they had to serve. Lefish Amodat Kodesh Kodeshim Alehim. They dealt with the furniture. The furniture. They carried the Aron, they carried the Shulchan, etc. The second waving was from Meneg Gereshon. That's why it says Tinufa again in the Perasha, because they also had service. They had to carry the curtains and the different hooks that, that were in the Kodesh Kodeshim. And the third waving was to the family of Merari. It said that uh, uh, Merari, they were in charge of carrying the actual boards of the Mishkan. So that was a lot of uh, Levim that the Haron would have to uh, wave in the course of, uh, in the course of one day. And the Levim were chosen to assist in the Beit HaMikdash instead of the firstborn. But in addition to this, their bodies were viewed as offerings. They themselves were like an offering. Because normally you wave the offering, but now we're waving the actual Levim. Because they were the offering for B'nai Israel, that's the entire nation. And not only the firstborn served in this role of the owner of an offering who stood next in sacrifice, which means when they brought the Qurban, they brought it on behalf of the people. That's what they had to put their hands on uh, Levi in order to establish that they are representing them. Okay, let's just see one more point over here. Right, the three, the three wavings. Okay, that's it. We did Aliyah. All right, so again, let's just review what we did tonight over here. We learned, number one, about the menorah, how Aaron had to light the menorah, and it was an appeasement for him for not being part of the Qurbanot last week. So God gave him the menorah, the lighting of it, and the cleaning of it. And we also learned how uh, the menorah had to be hammered, and that God actually 
helped fashion the mineral because it was too difficult to make itself. And then we learned about the purification of the tribe of Levi, the Levi families. Number one, they had to cut all their hair. Number two, they needed to be waived uh, by Aharon. And inauguration of the Levi, they had to bring certain korbanot, representative of the people, for uh, atonement for the people's uh, role in Chetah Okay, stop over here. Shura Fashrema of Hayasaraba Samha. Thank you, Amen. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. On the day of the inauguration, first day. But, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't have to be uh I don't have to be very, very strong. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. What about any team that would want to that? Yeah, uh, every time they got a new levy, every time they got a new levy, it needed to be waved. No, not throwing them in the air, they lifted them. Like mm-hmm. waving a little love, lifting, yeah. One, two, three, four, that to, to every single guy. Wow. It's amazing how hard on how powerful it was. I know it, yeah, sure, I know it. I mean, uh, <laughs> I hope you know it. <laughs> What are you saying, Sonia? Why the hair cut off is because um, since the, they, they, they atoned for the sin of Abu Dazara, and Abu Dazara is called the, the offering of the dead, and the Mitzorah is also called the dead person, and the Mitzorah is to shave all his hair off. It's like a series of dinashot that the rabbis make, but it's a certain type of uh, atonement for it. But uh, that's what Korah made fun of what was one of the things he made fun of Moshe is that look what you're doing to the Levine making them uh, you know they look like exactly like pumpkins so that's uh, that's that. okay I just shut this over here we're learning for the question the Mahaya Sarabat Simcha and we are moving right along Rat. so last night we learned uh, about the special korban that was brought. Actually, it's a, it's a human korban. The Libyim were brought like a sacrifices. They were waved. Uh, the Israelim put their hands on their heads. And they were actually brought as an atonement for the Jewish people uh, when it came to this for Cheta Egel. So that's what we read last night. And now we're going to start from Pasuk... Uh, uh, so this is a classic story of the uh, parasha. This happens in the Midbar. It's the second year when they came out of Egypt. And this is happening in the first month. This is happening in the month of uh, Nisan. So now, the Torah comes along and begins and says, The law is that when it comes Pesach time, you have to bring the Qurban Pesach in its time. Even if Erev Pesach was out on Shabbat, you bring the Qurban on Shabbat. So that is the, uh, the law. And the law says, 
that even uh, in purity, uh, it's brought uh, as well. When the majority of the people are impure, there's a law that says that we waive the laws of impurity and the korban is brought and they bring the uh, the sacrifice. Yes. So again, the korban Pesach is brought in its time, even on Shabbat, even in a state of Tum'ah, where the robe, the majority of the Sibur, is Tameh. So it's that. When did they bring the Qurban Pesach? On the 14th of the first month, in the afternoon, they bring it in its appointed time. You bring it according to all its decrees and according to all its laws. Uh, for example, uh, we learned that uh, you have to get rid of your hamets before you bring the Qurban Pesach. Uh, the law is that um, it has to be a sheep, it has to be a male, it has to be one year old, uh, it has to be roasted. Um, uh, it's eaten with matzah uh, maror. So there's different different laws that apply to Qurban Pesach. Uh, like we learned uh, itself. And it's also laws that apply at the same time of the year, which is seven days eating matzah and getting rid of pets, etc. So we know the regular laws that uh, apply to Qurban Pesach. Now the Pasu comes along and says, Moshe el Yisrael So Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to the, to the people and he told them to bring the the Pesach. He told them to, 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 to bring the Qurban when, when, when the time came around again. Which means uh, when Nisan came around the second year, so Moshe got up and said, we learned it already last year, but now we reviewed the laws with them. And he told them that uh, you have to bring the uh, Qurban. Even though they learned the laws when Hashem gave the Torah at Har Sinai, but the Torah was given in Sivan. So they got the law in Sivan, but Moshe Rabbeinu a year later, Sivan is like now, this time of year. It's not Pesach time. They learned it initially, but then he learned it again with them when the next year came, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. He started to teach them the laws of Pesach. Uh, that teaches you that. You learn the laws at the time of, uh, you know, that, they should, that they're supposed to be performed. So now, listen to what happens. What happens now is they bring the Qurban Pesach and all of a sudden somebody comes to, or a group of two people come to Moshe. So there were some men. Sounds like there were two men. That they were timeim. They were impure. Why were they impure? They came in contact with a corpse. They couldn't bring Qurban Pesach on the given day, even though we just learned that you can bring the Qurban Pesach in the state of Tum'ah, that's only when the majority of the Sibud is contaminated. But if individuals are contaminated, they can't bring the Qurban Pesach. So they missed it. So they came in front of Moshe and in front of Aharon. What do you mean they came in front of both of them? So that she said they were both sitting in the Beit Midrash, and they came and uh, and they asked them together, which means obviously they didn't go to Moshe and then to Aaron because if Moshe didn't know the answer, how's Aaron gonna know the answer? 
So therefore, when it says they went to Moshe and Aaron, it means they went to them, uh, they went to them together. And they asked them the following question. What's the question? The question is, uh, they said, we became Tamer to a dead body. Why should we lose out? It's unbelievable. Why should we be left out? Why should we be denied from bringing the Qurban? Now, they just said why they should be denied. The Tameh. They became Tameh, and you can't bring the Qurban to them. What, what, what were they asking over here? Uh, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu answered them very, you can't bring it. You can't bring Qurban when you when you're Tameh. So they said, okay, at least let them sprinkle the blood for us. We won't bring the Qurban. But let, let them sprinkle the blood uh, and let, uh, let, 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 let people that are pure eat the meat for us. I'm going to answer them. Uh, let, me, let me find out exactly. Uh, let me ask God what the law is over here. So again, Moshe Rabbeinu initially told them sacrifices cannot be brought in a state of impurity. So they came along and said, just let the blood of the sacrifice be thrown on the Mizbeah for us using Kwanim Tehorim. Let the meat of our offerings be eaten by pure people. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Stand here while I wait for God's response. Now, this is like a student that is uh, sure that he's going to hear an answer from his, from his master. Now, over here, you see the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu that he had such a connection with the Kadosh Baruch Hu, it's like he could just pick up the phone and talk to him. He says, oh, wait here, let me get an answer from God on your question. So that she says, Fortunate is a, is a man that was born from a woman, namely Moshe, that he was so sure, anytime he wanted, he could speak with the Shekhinah. Now, this is a, Strange story here because we got the Torah already. Now, this is like a question that's being asked, and Moshe Rabbim doesn't know the answer. What do you do if you're Tamer and you can't bring the Quran Pesach? So, what, what do you do? So, why wasn't this law already discussed when they got the Torah? So that she says that really the parasha should have been given by Moshe. Just like all the other parts of the Torah were given through Moshe. But these men received the privilege that they're going to be the ones that bring this uh, parasha down. Because uh, meritorious things happen through worthy people. And why are they considered worthy? They're worthy because um, these people over here, first of all, how did they become Tameh? What happened? Who, 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 who are they? Who were they dealing with? So it says that they were, actually, they were actually carrying the coffin of Yosef. When, when the Jews left Egypt, so they carried the coffin of Yosef with them. So if they were carrying the coffin of Yosef, therefore, they, um, they were, some say they were actually uh, carrying and they dealt with the burial of Dada Avihu. 
now, Nadav Avihu were the sons of Aharon that died. So these people were involved in burying. So they were Tamir because they were doing a mitzvah. So they came along and said, why should we be deprived if we were doing a mitzvah? And now with Tamir, so you, you got to give us a, got to give us an option. She says they couldn't accept that they can't go without bringing Korban Pesach, which is a, a great lesson because most people, if you're exempt, you say, good, I'm exempt. I don't have to do it. Great. You don't, you run. You run before the rabbi changes his mind. And over here, the, uh, technically they're exempt, but they don't want to, they're not looking for a, a, a loophole. As legal as, as legal as it is, they're interested in doing the mitzvah. So they came to Moshe and they said, why should we be left out? So God, Moshe didn't know the answer. He said, okay, let me wait until I get a, uh, a communication. Speak to the people and how we get to the law of Pesach Sheni. This is the makeup Pesach. Now, none of the holidays have a makeup. There's no Shavuot and there's no Sukkot Sheni, but there is Pesach Sheni. For those that couldn't bring the Quran Pesach the first time, they get to bring it uh, on a makeup date. So if a person was Tameh, was impure, or let's say he was, uh, he was far away and he couldn't get to the Beit HaMikdash, you know, in time on Erev Pesach. And uh, he wants to bring a, 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 a Pesach. So it says, So in the second month, uh, on the 14th of the second month, which is the 14th of Iyar, Yasu Oto. So there you go. That's the, that's the holiday now. The 14th of Iyad is the holiday called Pesach Sheni. And you eat it with Matzah and Maror. Now, Rabbi, what's the Ish Ish? Why twice? Question. You a good question. What is the Ish Ish? Let's see if we have any of the commentary. Point this out. Where's the laptop? Ish, 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 Someone's got a mute. Oh, some background music over here. Serious, I'm not getting around. I hear you. I'm realizing it for myself. That's what I'm saying. You're my role model when it comes to. Because it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay, not that. muted. Okay, maybe I'm muted. So now. They on Pesach Rishon, which is the regular Pesach, you're not allowed to have Hametz in your house when you bring the Quran Pesach. Because you're bringing it on Erev Pesach in the afternoon. By that time, there's no more Hametz. But on Pesach Sheni, you have Hametz in your house. It's a regular day. It's 14th of Yad. The guy has uh, all Hametz in his house. 
uh, and it's not really yourself. It's not a you're allowed to go to work on Pesach Shin, and you're allowed to eat hametz also. Uh, so, so therefore, uh, eat the hametz even uh, while you're eating, bringing the korban Pesach. So there is a difference between the, uh, you know, what happens uh, on the um, first Pesach to the second. That is that. that is, now, which means there's no there's no holiday. On, on Pesach Rishon, you bring the Korban Pesach on the 14th of Nisan, and the 15th is a holiday, meaning the first day of Yom Tov. Here, you bring the Korban on the 14th of Iyad, the 15th of Iyad is not a holiday. It's just a regular, it's a regular day. It's not a festival day, there's no Halal being said, and there's no uh, Seder and regular. Just a, a flat-out makeup for the Korban Pesach itself. Now, the Pesach gives us some laws, same laws. You're not allowed to leave any over until the morning. Uh, you cannot break any bones. Now, let's say a guy was pure. He could have brought it on the first Pesach. Then he doesn't have an option to bring it to the next Pesach. It's only if he had a legal exemption. But if a guy was Tahor, and he wasn't far away, he to get to the Beit HaMikdash. Then the Torah said, The punishment is the severe punishment of karet. And I guess that's why these guys wanted to bring the Quran. For example, a punishable by karet. That means it's a very serious punishment. It means you're cut off from people. That tells us that Quran Pesach must be a very integral for the Jewish soul. And therefore, when they found out they were exempt, so how can we be exempt from such a, such a mitzvah like this that those who don't bring it get cut in? Even though they wouldn't have got cut in because they, 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 they had a legal exemption, but they were not looking to be deprived from the great Kiddushah that this, uh, that this mitzvah uh, uh, apply, uh, uh, offers. Now, let me ask one more question before we uh, before we finish it tonight, we finally got some quiet so I could hear myself. So I'll just ask one one question. What would you say if somebody on the first Pesach was not Jewish and then they converted in between? Would they bring Korban on Pesach Sheni? That is the question. On Pesach Rishon, they were not Jewish. And then during after Pesach was over, they decided to convert. So the Torah discusses this question in the next Pasuk. Pasuk says, If let's say you have a ger amongst you. Now, Rashi says, you think that every uh, ger, every convert, brings a, a Pesach uh, immediately? The Torah comes along and says, um, that indeed, oh, so the Pazuk says, Now, when does he make the Pesach? He brings the Pesach in the normal time. Not, not, it doesn't mean the second he converts. He has to bring it when he, on the right time. So the convert has to bring a Korban as well. But in the case that I told you, you only bring a korban on Pesach Sheni 
if you were uh, able to bring it on Pesach but you had a legal exemption. You were Jewish, but you were Tameh. You were Jewish, but you were far away. But a Goy doesn't even have an obligation. Doesn't even enter. So therefore, if he was a Goy on Pesach Rishon, and then he converts in between, he will not bring uh, the Qurban, uh, the next Pesach. But a regular convert, he has to bring a Qurban Pesach on the normal time, when everybody else brings it. And when is that? Uh, with, with his friends. In, 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 the normal, in the normal time. That's what the Pasuk says. And a katan the same way? What is that? A katan the same way? Very good. Now, same thing with a katan. A katan is exempt from the first Pesach. And therefore, if he became a gadol in Pesach Sheni, he was exempt. And therefore, whoever's exempt from Pesach Rishon, because he's not even in the Perashah, the only exemptions they're giving you if you were Tameh or you were far away. If you're a goy, nothing to do. If you're a katan, that's not an exemption. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, you're not even a hayab. And that is the uh, that is the law. Now, this again, just to make a clarity, this was said. This law of Pesach Sheni in Midbar Sinai in the second year from when they came out of Mitzrayim, and this was said in the in the first month. Now, uh, just a little technical stuff here. So, this parasha is being said in the second in the first month. Now. Uh, if you if you look at um, the perasha that begins this book, if you look at the perasha that begins this book about Midbar, it actually was said. The first pasuk in Midbar actually says, "By the we got a problem. Book begins in the second. And now we're talking about something that happened in the first month. Guys, you have to mute yourself. We follow, we follow the rule in Mukdam The very important lesson when it's not presented in chronological sequence. The very important lesson. Torah does not write it in chronological sequence. That's why the beginning of the book is in the second month, and now we're in this part, Parasha already, we're back to the first month. Now, why didn't the Torah write it in the book with, uh, with, this, uh, with this story? It's because it's coming to tell us that the 40 years that the Jewish people were in the Midbar, they did not only once. Which was that? Which was today? Have a, you have to mute yourself. The Torah is telling us that in the forty years that the Jewish people were in the Midbar, they only brought the Korban Pesach once. They did not bring it um, because um, uh, they were supposed to go to Israel right away, but because they committed the sin of the of the spies, so therefore they got punished to stay in the Midbar. Uh, for 40 years. So the Torah is mentioned because it would be to the, uh, the discredit of B'nai Yisrael. I'll pick up tomorrow night. I'm going to take a Zoom. Rabbi, is it possible that the beginning of the Pesach, the first month, in the beginning of the Pesach, I talk about the first year, and then the second one, it's talking about the second year of the first month. No, the, the first 
let's go back to Bamid. First Bamid Bar is. No, What's all this noise? The first, the first, the beginning of Bamidbar starts in the second year. Second, our parasha begins second year, first month. So it's batting out of order. So that she learns from over here, a very important lesson that says in the Torah. The Torah is not necessarily written in sequence, and uh, the reason why it's not written in sequence again because this passage is to the discredit of Ben Israel that the entire forty years they were in the Midbar, they only brought. Uh, this korban, they didn't bring it uh, any other time. So that would be a, you know, a discredit if you open the pedasha with this item. Now we have to figure out tomorrow night why they only brought the korban once. Why did they only bring it once? They should have brought it every uh, subsequent year. They had the animals, they had a mishkan. So stay tuned tomorrow so night. Stay tuned tomorrow, and we'll figure out why they only brought it once. Okay. And uh, we're in Parashat Ba'alotecha. So last night we learned about Pesach Sheni. We learned about those men that came to Moshe and they uh, requested a makeup because they weren't able to bring Urban Pesach in the first round because they were doing a mitzvah. They were Tameh, either they're carrying Yosef's tomb or they were taking care of Nadab Abihu, the children of Aharon. And Moshe Rabbeinu, we see something amazing. He has such access to God. He says, hold on, let me ask Hashem, which means you don't know what type of level you have to be on just to be able to pick up the phone and talk to Hashem. So it's, it's amazing. No, no rabbi in our generation had this, has this ability. We don't have any prophets. And even the greatest of prophets did not have this instant access. Moshe Rabbeinu was so holy that he was at all times uh, on call. That means he was always holding by a very, the highest spiritual level in order to make contact. And then we learned that God answered that they could make the Qurban a month later on the 14th of Iyad. So that's, uh, that's the end of last night's subject. And we also learned a lesson at the end of last night's class that the Torah does not write things in chronological order. Uh, the Torah uh, sometimes will skip around and put things out of order for purposes that uh, the Torah sees fit. Now we start in chapter 9, and we're going to start Pasuk Tedvav. It was on the day that they uh, erected the Mishkan. So a cloud came down, and uh, the cloud actually hovered over the Aron, where the tablets were. An amazing miracle happened. At night, that cloud would turn into a pillar of fire. So the people witnessed this. Every night, you saw a pillar of fire descend on top of the Mishkan. In the day, it would just be a, uh, a regular cloud. This was constant. The cloud would cover the Mishkan. And at night, it would turn into an image of fire, a pillar of fire. And 
Now, what happened was the Jewish people are traveling in the Midbar. How do they know when to travel? How do they know when to uh, settle? What's the, uh, what's the navigation device that they used? So the Torah is telling us in this week's parasha, it was the cloud. When the cloud was start to move, they knew that they had to pick up and go. And when the cloud would, would stop, then they knew they would have to settle in that place. So that's a, uh, a, a, a divine a GPS or divine guidance uh, that they had. In the place that the cloud rested, that's, that's where B'nai Israel would rest. So it's really, the Jewish people really have no idea when they're going to move. They're up there, they're waiting for the clouds. That means it's not like we know we're, we're all going to deal tomorrow. Everybody knows Wednesday or Thursday before whatever, graduation or the school's over, you go to deal. Now imagine, no, you don't know when we're going. When you see the cloud go, then you start, you're picking up. So that's a very, very uh, uh, precarious way to live. You don't, know what, you don't know if you're leaving today or in two years. And the truth of the matter is some locations they stayed for a year's time. And some locations they stayed for three days. So every day you woke up in the morning, you didn't know if that's your last night in the location or you have to pack your bags and go. And that's what the next pasuk says. Alpi Hashem Yisru That the Jewish people traveled according to the word of God and they, they settled uh, according uh, to the word of God. And uh, Rashi says over here that he quotes from a midrash when the Jewish people would be about to journey the cloud would fold up and the cloud folding up and it would uh, extend over the children of Yehuda in the shape of a beam at that point so the cloud, instead of, uh, it, would, it would fold up in a certain way and then extend over one of the tribes. And then they would blow the trumpets uh, three times. And the cloud would not uh, travel forward. So they didn't travel immediately. There was a process. There was trumpets. Moshe Rabbeinu would make an announcement. We are, we are now traveling. So. I would like to uh, make a, uh, a point. Look in the Pasuk where it says, um, where it says in the Pasuk right before Yud Zayin, that when the cloud uh, rose, the lifting of the cloud, Yisrael. What does that mean? Ve'acharechen. So it means simply, and afterwards, and afterwards, the Jewish people would travel. So I saw a beautiful explanation over here just to show you how precise our Torah is. What is that vav in ve'aharechen? The pasuk could just say, when the cloud was lifted, aharechen Yisru b'nei Israel. Why did it say ve'aharechen? And afterwards. Just say afterwards. So there's a beautiful interpretation of a rabbi called the Ktaba Kabbalah. And he was an expert in uh, Jewish 
words and etymology. And he says, there is a difference between the word aharechen or ve'aharechen. And what's the difference? He says, aharechen means immediately afterwards. Something happens and immediately afterwards, uh, an event takes place. That would be aharechen. Ve'aharechen means there was a delay. Now, what's the example he brings? So there's a famous uh, uh, story uh, when God told Abraham Abinu, we learned this early on in the year, when God told Abraham Abinu that the Jewish people are going to be slaves for 400 years in Mitzrayim. And then it says, and afterwards, they're going to leave. Again, and there's a big question that all the rabbis ask that the Jews really didn't stay in Egypt for 400 years, or the exile, I should say, wasn't 400 years. If you make the calculation from the time uh, this, this prophecy was given to the time that they left, it's actually 430 years. So why did God say 400 if it was actually 430? In another pasuk it says, and the whole process from beginning to end was 430 years. Over here, God says to Avraham Abinu, So, based on the rule that we just gave, God didn't say that after 400 years, immediately they're going to leave Egypt. He said, When it says, it means there's going to be a little while after. It's not going to be immediate. How much after? 30 years after. So therefore, that pasuk is very accurate. So whenever we see something happen with a delay or a, a break in between, it'll use the word So this pasuk now by us also is very, very beautiful. Because what is it saying here? It's saying, and the cloud would rise. But we just learned the Jewish people didn't travel right away. First, they had to blow the shofarot. And then they had to wait for Moshe Rabbeinu to make an announcement. Proceed. And only then would they travel. So the Pasuk says, means that afterward they would travel, but not immediately afterwards there was a uh, delay. So let's see. I, I, the reason why I love this Hadush is because it shows us that every letter in the Torah, even the extra Vav, already makes a, a world of a difference and gives, uh, gives, 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 gives meaning to the, uh, to the words over here. Now it says that um, once the Jewish people would finally camp, the pillar would raise, would rise straight up. And again, would cover the tribe of Yehuda in the shape of a sukkah, like a, like a tent. And it would not uh, spread out. Which means Moshe Rabbeinu would tell the cloud return, and then the cloud would return to the Mishkan. So actually, there was the cloud, but was Moshe Rabbeinu actually uh, directing? So Moshe Rabbeinu would tell the people when the cloud would fold up, okay, now it's time to travel, and after the cloud would stop, Moshe would tell the cloud, go back to the Mishkan, and then B'nai Israel would settle. Now the Pasuk says here, 
Yahanu, as long as the Anan was on the Mishkan, they would settle. Uh, they would encamp. Anan ala Mishkan. And if the uh, Anan would uh, linger on the Mishkan for a long time, Yamim Rabim, then Bishamiru Bene said to Yasau, they would they would stay in that location for many, for many, many days. Sometimes the cloud would only uh, stay on the Mishkan for a few days. Sometimes it was one day. And could you imagine all this? And the ladies can appreciate this all this packing and unpacking. I mean, now everybody's uh, packing and unpacking, but okay, it's okay. I'm going for three months. But imagine you have to unpack and pack for one day. And you got to do this for 40 years and you don't know what the next uh, what the next destination and the duration is going to be. So the Pasuk says, uh, It could be even overnight. Or your mind, or two days, or Chodesh, or a month, or Yamim, or could take a year. So the person comes along and says that the Jewish people were diligent and they didn't complain and they trusted, they trusted God. Now, I don't believe that anything is a coincidence. Most of the times when the summer begins, this is the first perashah of the summer. And I think there's a great lesson in this parasha because the pasuk is coming to tell us that this is the parasha of traveling. Now most people are going to move this week. They're going to go to their summer residence. Uh, they're going to go to their, uh, uh, you know, whether it's people go to the mountains or they go to deal or wherever they go, or even if they're not going anywhere, but mentally it's a different, it's a different head. They're leaving school and they're leaving the, the winter, let's say, regiment, and they're going in now to a, a different frame of mind. You don't have to travel to be in a different place. The traveling is in the, is in the mind. And therefore, the Torah is reminding us, don't forget when you travel, you must travel with God. There are those that think that the religion and Judaism is only in your permanent residence. And then when you go out in summer, you're on vacation for two months, as if there's two Torahs, there's a winter Torah and there's a summer Torah. And the summer Torah is a little more, you know, liberal, a little more light, and you can get away with some more things. And when we come back uh, after the vacation, then we go back to the winter version. It's not so. The Torah is telling us that when the Jewish people travel, they must travel by the word of God. Now, to the credit of our community, which is no community like this in the world, that in our uh, summer locations, we have the permanence of our synagogues we have the permanence of our mikvaot. We have the permanence of our chesed organizations. It means even though we go to places that we only spend two and a half months, but the, the infrastructure that the community built is, is permanent. That's a great lesson to show our children that no matter where we travel, we travel with God, and we don't make God's house any less than our own homes. We don't live in tents because we're going for two months. We live in regular houses, so why should God being a uh, you know a, a temporary uh, shabby structure, why shouldn't we you know provide the body olam the same amenity that we provide to ourselves? And uh, that's a great lesson that Parashat Ba'alotecha couldn't come at a better time. Now the cloud is moving. Tomorrow, Thursday, the cloud is going to start to move to different locations, 
but we have to remember that it's not a, 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 a vacation from God. It's just a different location where we're able to serve God just from a, from a different vantage, from a different view. But we must take Bori Olam with us. Uh, take this uh, opportunity again to remind our members that we're learning for the Fuashinam of Hayasana Batsimha and Be'azat Hashem, wherever our locations and our uh, travelings take us, Be'azat Hashem should always be with the Humash and the learning and the Torah and the Mizvot and the Ma'asim Tovim. Amen. Long parasha, beautiful parasha, a lot of stuff. We're learning for the Fuashinam of Hayasana Batsimha. And uh, we ended off last night <coughs> where we had <coughs> a situation over here where the Jewish people left Har Sinai. Now, there's nothing wrong in leaving Har Sinai, but the Torah does find some uh, problem with it because uh, the attitude that they had when they left Har Sinai was, the Gemara says, like a like a child leaving the school. You know, when the child leaves school, he runs. That doesn't mean that they ran because, of course, they they followed the cloud. The cloud left, so they followed the cloud. But they were, let's say, in their deep heart, they uh, they were happy to leave Arsinai. You know, maybe God's going to give a few more mitzvot, and they, they they just wanted to leave leave the school. So there was a claim against them. That was not that was considered a a sin that they committed. So the Pasuk says, uh, we're reading, uh, They left Har Hashem, the mountain of Hashem, which is Har Sinai. So they actually traveled a distance of three days in one day. God was so eager to bring them into Eris Israel. So, I mean, the plan was, you got the Torah straight into Israel. Now, it didn't happen, as we know, but Bore Olam was very eager after Matan Torah to bring them into Eris Israel. So they traveled at a very, very quick quick, uh, quick speed. Again, like I told you, three days. It took them one day to travel it. And the Aaron, the ark, traveled in front of them. Uh, in the ark, you have to remember that Aaron had also the broken tablets, um, and um, it would go ahead of them by a three-day distance. Now, what was the purpose why the Aaron would go three-day distance ahead of them? So it says to prepare for them. So that's the way they uh, that's the way they would travel. The um, so very good. So now it says. The cloud of God was on them. The cloud was with them, as we learned. There was actually seven clouds, as she says. There was four on each side, all the uh, the sides of the camp, north, east, west, and south. There was one above them, and there was one beneath them, and there was one uh, ahead of them. And the purpose of these clouds um, it would smoothen the road. Let's say there was a mountain. So you can't travel over a mountain, so the clouds would just come and smoothen the surface. Uh, let's say there was a, a valley, so it would smoothen the surface as well. So you didn't have to go you know, on an incline or a decline. 
clouds served as like uh, paving the road for the Jewish people, as she says, and it killed all the snakes and scorpions. You have to remember they're in the desert. The desert is a place of snakes and scorpions, but then they never have a problem because the clouds served as their uh, protection. That's what the Torah tells us. Now, the Pasuk then says, uh, when the Aron would, would travel, so Moshe Rabbeinu would say to the people, like we learned earlier this week, the ark was in front of them, as we said. So Moshe Rabbeinu would announce, let the um, uh, ark, Moshe Rabbeinu would say to the ark to stop, don't go anymore, because it was only a three-day distance ahead of them. Uh, let your enemies be scattered. This is referring to those um, that uh, that were uh, gathered together. That she says Moshe Rabbeinu was praying that one group be scattered and that another flee. Where she explains that the prayer to scatter applies to those who have gathered to attack. And so all those that came to attack B'nai Israel, Moshe Rabbeinu would say, let the ark come and scatter our enemies. Let the enemies of B'nai Israel scatter. Because you have to remember, there's Goyim living on the sides of these mount, of these of this desert. And when they see this nation coming, they want to attack us. So Moshe Rabbeinu would pray that the Aron, which protected us, should scatter the enemies. The Anusu Misadecha, and all our enemies should should flee. You know those that were uh, that were uh, pursuing us. So those that were ready to pursue us, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed that they shouldn't come. And those that were actively pursuing us, Moshe Rabbeinu also prayed that they should be um, they should have fear and they should run away. These are the enemies of uh, of Bnei Israel, and then. Um, he says the enemies of God, because we have a general rule that anybody that hates the Jewish people, it's not only against us, it's against our God. As she says, Shekola sonet Israel, anybody that hates Israel, sonet Amar olam. He's an uh, antagonist against God himself. Uh, so therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu refers to them as the enemies of God. Shuva Hashem livevot alfei Israel, And then he says, that um, that the Jewish people should have the, uh, um, the, the the presence of God in their midst. Now, there's a lot a lot going on in these in these two pesukim over here. These pesukim actually don't belong in this place. I don't know if you have Homashim in front of you, but if you notice, uh, in after pesuk thirty five. There's a sign in the Homash. If you have your Homashim opened, I'm looking at chapter 10, Pasuk 35. There is an inverted nun. Uh, if you see it in your Homash. Now that's actually in the Sefer Torah. It's a, for those that want to see it over here, I don't know if you can see it. See over here, there's an inverted letter. And then you have these two Pesukim about Moshe Rabbeinu praying that our enemies and the enemies of God should be scattered. And after those two pesukim, you'll see there is another inverted nun over there. Now, what is going on with these inverted letter nuns? So Rashi comes along and tells us 
Asalo simaniot, Torah made signs. From before this uh, this paragraph and after it, Lomar, it's not really the place. Uh, this actually belongs when we were learning about the traveling of B'nai Israel. So we learned about the encampment, the square, and we learned how they traveled. And now all of a sudden it's telling us how a Moshe Rabbeinu would tell uh, the uh, people when they were traveling, uh, you know, that the Aron should be in front of them, the enemy should scatter, but it doesn't belong over here. So why is it written, written over here? To separate between uh, two uh, troubles. We're going to read about two troubles that took place. And the Torah does not want to put these two troubles back to back to each other. Because if we put them back to back to each other, it would be a great incrimination against the Jewish people. So the Torah put a buffer of these two pesukim in between what is before it, a trouble, and what's after it, a trouble. So this buffer uh, separated it. Uh, and what was the what was the two uh, troubles over here? So the Mefarshim say, number one, when they journeyed from the mountain, so that was like we learned that wasn't a good thing. And then now we're going to learn about the next sin that they uh, complained about the menu, which is an old Jewish custom to complain about the menu. They weren't happy with the man. They wanted to eat meat, and they complained uh, to Moshe Rabbeinu. So two, two sins in this week's perasha, at least. But these two pesukim, again, are dividing and separating the, um, the two items. Fine. Perfect. There was no, there were no Bnei Israel that were Tamer during that time. No, they were not, no, they weren't Tamer. You saying, well, why did they bring? What's your question? Right. Why, why, if they were moving and the person was Tamer, he had to go outside of the camp. He oh. wouldn't be able to move. No, he would just have to travel behind everybody. Ah, just, okay. He, he would just. So they were traveling in the square, so he was outside the square. But uh -huh. the point over here is, uh, it's a it, this parasha starts. A very, very, uh, it's a summer parasha, but it discusses the sins of the Jewish people in the Midbar. The next couple of parashiyot, this, this parasha we learn about a couple of sins. Next week we learn about the spies. Then we read about Korah. So ultimately the Jews committed in the Midbar 10 sins. Now each one of these sins really needs a class on its own. I know we're just coming to learn a simple text, the way that she teaches it to us. But these sins are not to be understood you know, like regular sins. They were very great people, these people in the Midbar. Although the Torah, uh, you know, tells us about what they did wrong, but it's a sin on their level. Hakam uh, Baruch used to tell us that if a person is wearing a white suit, so even a, uh, a little stain is magnified. But if you're wearing a black suit, so you don't see the stains. So B'nai Seir were white. So even a little uh, complaint or a little infraction was magnified. According to, the, according to their level. So you have to know, this is the famous parasha that has the two inverted nuns, which is like a bracket. It, it puts these two pesukim to separate between what is before and what is, uh, and what is after. Now, uh, by the way, we do say these pesukim every Shabbat when we take out the Sefer Torah. That's, we read that 
because when we take out the Aaron, the Sefer Torah from the Aaron, we're reminding the congregation how it's the Sefer Torah that actually protects us. The Torah and the learning of the Torah that really protects us uh, from our enemies and causes our enemies to remain uh, in place. Uh, the Gemara on this Pasuk also teaches us a, an interesting fact that the Shekhinah, uh, when it rests in its concentrated form, it cannot rest on less than 22,000 people. So that's a magic number in the, in the Torah, 22,000. So anytime you have 22,000 people in one place gathered, that's a uh, recipe for the Shekhinah to come down. How do they know that? Because the Pasuk says, Shuba Hashem, let God return, Revivot. Revivot means uh, the myriads. Uh, Revava is 10,000. Revivot is double 10,000. So that's 20,000. Alfei Israel, the thousands of Israel, to a minimum, minimum thousands is two, because it's plural. So therefore it's 22,000. The Gemara actually tells a, uh, a story that um, the Gemara is not too fond of people that have uh, dangerous or wild dogs. Uh, in their house. No offense to any of our members that have wild dogs in the house, but that's the Torah's opinion that uh, why the Gibraltar tells a story that there was uh, there was 22,000 people and there was a, 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 a or there was 20, 21,999 uh, a lady was pregnant and if she would have given birth it would have made it 22,000 and the dog barked and scared her and she had a miscarriage. And therefore, the dog caused the Shekhinah to leave, to leave B'nai Israel. Whether that happened or not, but that's a, a, a story that the Gemara is telling us. It's a hypothetical that uh, the dogs can scare pregnant ladies and cause them to have miscarriages. And therefore, I mean, uh, I'm not a lady, I'm, I'm not pregnant, and I get scared from dogs. So that uh, uh, just shows you have to be, uh, be careful. That's what we read in the last uh, now we get to chapter Yud Aleph, chapter 11. Now the people started to uh, we'll say complain. They started to have claims. Uh, and they started to uh, talk about, uh, you know, uh, different types of uh, claims they had. And their complaints were not. They were evil in the in the ears of God. Hashem, God heard it, and and He was angry at them. So fire broke out in the middle of the camp and uh, started to burn them. So look at this. They should have been in Israel, and all of a sudden they started to unravel. And uh, God says, "I'm intending for their benefit. I want to bring them into Eretz Israel. and now they're complaining. So the pasuk says. Uh, the fire came out by Yitzhak Amal Moshe, so the people cried out to Moshe, by Palil Moshe Lashem, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to God, and the fire, uh, the fire subsided. Now, uh, it says, um, the Rashi gives a mashal, that Moshe Rabbeinu is praying to God, the mashal is, uh, let's say, to a king, that got angry at his son, uh, and the son went uh, to the king's friend and says, please, you know, go ask uh, my father for clemency. And so Moshe Rabbeinu is like the friend of God. So the Jewish people went to Moshe and said, please, God's angry at us. So please, uh, 
please forgive us. So this, this is the sin called mitonenim. Uh, this is a mitonenim. This is the fact that they were, uh, they were complaining. Uh, so now the Torah comes along and says, okay, that's, that's that one. So they called the place Tavera, which literally means fire. Because the fire of God uh, came down. That is another sin. There was guys called the Asapsuf. Asapsuf is the Erevrab. Those are the converts that came out with the Jewish people from Egypt. Now, these guys were always troubled. And they always, you know, were the rabble rousers. They made trouble for me when it came to the golden calf. Now they're going to make trouble in the next thing over here. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't good that they came out with us. What was their claim? They had a desire. They caused the Jewish people to start crying. They wanted basar. They wanted meat. Uh, uh, they wanted meat. This is where they start complaining about the, the meat. And again, they, 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 it's not that they didn't have meat. They had animals when they came out of the side, but they were just looking to, to complain. Uh, they were looking for, uh, to, make, to make like a, uh, a pretext in order to, to, to claim against, to have claims against God. So what did they say? We remember the fish that we ate in Mitzrayim. Now, since we ate the free fish, now, I don't think the Egyptians were giving out free fish in Egypt, so what does it mean that we're eating uh, free fish? So it says over here that um, that she explains so let me explain to you what's going on over here. The Jewish people, it finally hit them that they have all these mitzvot. And some of them were overwhelmed by it. So they came along and said, we remember in Egypt, we ate for free. We didn't have to do any mitzvot. We didn't have to worry about if we don't do this, we're going to get punished and we're not going to get food. Now all of a sudden, we have to live by a certain standard. So B'nai Israel were uh, you know, complaining that we remember what we had in Egypt. We didn't have any, any um, responsibility. And then they go on to say, we remember the, um, the kishu'im. Kishu'im is the, the cucumbers. And we remember the abatihim, the batih, the, the watermelon, the hasir, that's the leeks, uh, the salim, the onions, betashumim, and the, uh, the garlic. Now, the question is, what do you mean you remember that stuff? You were eating the man, just... And we know that the man tasted like whatever you wanted. So if you want to eat garlic, so just think of garlic in your brain, and the man will taste like garlic. You want to have uh, cucumbers, so think of a cucumber. So what does it mean we remember these foods? These, they were not being deprived of many of these foods over there. They had an, an ability to eat these foods. So that she comes along and says that the man tasted like everything except for these things. Why? Because these things are difficult for nursing mothers. Um, like the uh, the saying is that they say to a a lady, uh, don't eat uh, garlic, don't eat onions because it hurts the milk, and therefore uh, God did not want the 
people to have these foods in the man, so the pregnant woman will not have uh, uh, will not have the uh, you know a, a danger or harm for their children. So that's the mashal. They tell the lady, don't eat garlic and don't eat onion. My wife tells me the same thing, and I'm not nursing, but that's a that's another story. So now it says. Uh, interesting that she, I don't know if you have, I don't, I don't know if anybody has books in front of them, but if you look at that she on the word kishu'in, he brings the old French word for kishu'in and he says cucumbers. Now she actually says the word cucumbers in Hebrew. I guess that's what they used to call this uh, item even in a uh, thousand years ago. And abatihim, he says, uh, is the uh, the melon and the hasir, as we said, is the, is the leek. And he says, all we have is uh, our eyes or our soul is dry. We have nothing built in. What we have is this is this man. So they, were, they were complaining about the man. Man in the morning, man in the in, in the evening. Now the Torah then tells us what the man, or the manner, what it looked like. The Haman Kizra God. It was like uh, the color of, uh, actually, it was like coriander seed. What's a coriander? Uh, Kizabra. What is it? It's, what color is that? Uh, Yellowish. Because that's what they say it looks like. The man looked like a zra god, which they explained to me like a coriander seed. And it says, um, and its color was like the bedolah. The bedolah, as she says, is um, is a um, like a like a white. It's like a stone, like a crystal, actually. That she says. That's the flower. Yeah, it looks like a crystal. I'm saying the coriander flower, not the. Oh, the flower. Correct, coriander flower. Exactly, and it had a. Um, now, why is it telling us about the man? How beautiful it was. Because saying you're complaining about this, so the Torah interrupts itself and says, "But the man was such a beautiful item." The people would go out every day, and they would uh, collect uh, the man, and they would take it, and uh, they would uh, they would have to grind it into the uh, into a mill. Um, now, the she says over here, the man did not go down. It was not put into a mill. And it was not put into a kettle. And it was not put into a mortar. The flavor changed into things that are grabbed, which means it, you didn't have to do these things. It's just saying it tasted like grounded food. It tasted like cooked food. So the point is the man was, uh, was everything. Did they cook also no. the man? No, no. That's, that's what she's saying. It tasted like all these type of foods. It tasted like ground food if you wanted it. It tasted like cooked food. It tasted like roasted food. So that, that, that's what it means over there. She says uh, they didn't actually put it in these uh, in these items over here. It just had the uh, the taste. So every day they would go out to collect the man, and then they would uh, they would eat it as as they wished, and still uh, they were complaining. So it says about the man over here that um, uh, the taste of it 
is ketam neshad hashamen. Is like a dough that's kneaded in oil. I guess it's a, a good taste, uh, like, a, like a donut. Mm-hmm. And the Torah comes and tells us that the man would land on the ground. If it lands on the ground, it's going to be dirty. So what, what did Hashem do at night? A layer of dew, D-E-W, landed on the ground. And then the man fell on top of the dew, so it had a, you know, a seal, a layer. And then another layer of dew fell on top of the man. So it was actually in a capsule. So that's like a package. What it allowed him said that the man in a, you know, sealed package so it doesn't get, uh, you know, uh, dusty or, or dirty. And that's where we get the custom on Friday night that we cover the bread because we're remembering the man. And that's where we put a bread cover underneath it. And then we put a the bread, and then we cover it on top. The two coverings represents the dew that Hashem put under the man and on uh, top of the man. And that's why um, you should always cover the bread on, on Friday night uh, in order to commemorate that uh, thing of the man. You should leave it covered until you come back to make the hamotzi. And then once you make the hamotzi, uh, you uncover it. And uh, we eat it. And the reason why you have two breads on Shabbat is because on Friday, they used to get a double portion because the man didn't fall on Shabbat. So they, they would get a um, uh, the Friday's portion and uh, Shabbat's portion. Now, again, why is the Torah going and giving us this whole thing about the macros? They complain. So now we have three sins in this parasha. We have the sin that they left Har Sinai. And then we have these mit onenim, these people that were just Complaining about uh, you know uh, different 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 things about the midbar doesn't really tell us what they were complaining about, but they were complaining. And then you got the guys that were mit avim; they were desiring different uh, pleasures uh, in the realm of of food. So again, if these three sins would have been written back to back to back, we learned that anything that happens in threes is permanent. In Hebrew, they call that hazakah. It's like uh, it's established. And then the Jewish people would be just be considered in the pattern of sin. So in order that we should not be in the pattern of sin, the Torah put those two pesukim to break up. So it's one sin before and two sins after. So you don't have three sins in a row. So that's a that's a very, very uh, big favor that a Kadosh Baruch Hu did because the Torah establishes the nature of the of the world. So if in the Torah would have said we committed sin one, sin two, sin three, would have been over. That means the Jewish people would be predisposed to sin. So what Olam took two pesukim out of order and stuck it right in between just to, to, to separate it. Now, here's the real item that was bothering them, the next pesukim. They were uh, crying weeping uh, about their families or with their families. Now, what do you mean they were crying with their families? So it says over here in the Rashi that the families got together and were crying uh, in order to make it a bigger, you know, uh, 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 to publicize their complaints. They did it in the open. And the rabbis come along and say a deeper explanation that before the Torah was given, you could marry whoever you want. There was no sins of 
you know, immorality and things like that, arayot. But now once the Torah was given, now you couldn't marry who you wanted to. You were limited. Like we know, there's laws, you can't marry your sister, you can't marry uh, your aunt, and so on and so forth. And the Jewish people didn't want to be under those restrictions, so they were crying regarding the new laws of family. They got new laws of who they're allowed to be with, who they're not allowed to be with. Again, another restriction. And that was the ultimate reason why they were uh, crying. So there's a lesson over it to be learned. Although they were saying, we want to go back to Egypt, we want to eat meat, we don't like this man, that was a pretext for something that was really underneath the surface. You learn a lesson over here that a lot of times when people are saying certain things, it's not what they're saying necessarily, it's not why they're saying it. For example, you have people that come along and they create a whole philosophy of evolution, that the world just came about, and the science, and uh, there was uh, millions of years, and they create a whole philosophy. Now, what's the reason why they create this philosophy? So you say, well, it's scientific, they want to explain things, you know, rationally, and they want to, no. The, the real reason why they want to explain it that way is because if you take God out of the equation, you can do whatever you want. You can be an animal. So therefore, it sounds like they're very sophisticated. So you have to, you have to hear behind what they're saying. But they're complaining about the meat. But it wasn't about the meat. They're complaining about that they want to do what they want to do. They want to be immoral. They want to do, you know, they want to go where they want to go. But they can't say that openly. So they come along and say, yeah, we want to go back to Egypt. We can't eat this man. It doesn't taste good. We want to see our food. Whatever they said. Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, understands that what they were really complaining about was something, they lost their freedom, we'll put it that way. The Torah put them in a, you know, in a bind. So that was a terrible thing, and that's what the Pasuk says. It was bad to Moshe, and uh, Moshe Rabbeinu over here almost is going to, is going to, to quit almost. Moshe Moshe tells God, Why are you doing so bad to me? Why don't I find favor in your eyes? You put the burden of this nation on me. Did I give birth to these people? Did I give birth to them? You put the responsibility on them that you ask me to, 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 to carry them like a mother carries her nursing child. Where am I going to get the meat? They're complaining to me? Where am I going to get all this meat for, for 3 million people? I cannot uh, carry this nation anymore. It's too much for me. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu over here, already we see, became, uh, became weak. Uh, the explanation is because Moshe Rabbeinu saw the punishments that were destined for the Jewish people. And Moshe Rabbeinu loves the Jewish people, so he couldn't, he couldn't tolerate the, the, that these sins are going to cause great, great punishments. Uh, <clears throat> so that's why Moshe Rabbeinu says, Horgeni Naharog, kill me first. Why, what does me kill me first? Uh, 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 because I cannot see the, 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 the bad that is going to befall uh, the Jewish people. So that's, that's a, a, a bunch of Pesukim over here. Not, not the happiest Pesukim over here. We just read over here now some major, major stuff and major, major complaints. Moshe wants to quit. 
right? Look what happened. The Yitzhak got them. They were about to go to Israel. And all of a sudden, the Yitzhak got involved and sabotaged everything. And all of a sudden, they met one man. And we, we have a rule over here that one sin leads to another. So, so once they left Har Sinai with, a, with a, a, a bad attitude, and I'd like to explain to you now, I'll explain to you one of the sins, the way I heard from my rabbis. So it says, what was the sin that they left Har Sinai? Didn't we learn a couple of nights already? They only traveled with the cloud. So when the cloud traveled, they traveled. So there's no claim that they left Har Sinai early. They couldn't leave early. They stayed there for a year, by the way. They got to Har Sinai on the 1st of Sivan. They didn't leave till a year later on the 20th of Iyad. So that's not rushing. And then on the 20th of Iyad, the cloud picked up and they went. So they followed the cloud. So I heard from my rabbis, they said like this, that you remember when the Jewish people left Egypt. So it says they were collecting the spoils of the Egyptians. And everybody was busy collecting all the spoils. And then the cloud started to travel. And nobody paid attention to the cloud because everybody was too busy collecting the spoils. So Moshe Rabbeinu had to, you know, uh, by, by uh, against their will, had to say, okay, Rabotai, we're leaving. Come on, come on. It's like when you have kids in an amusement park and they want to go on one more ride. And the parents say, oh, we're leaving. No, 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 one more ride. Let's, let's stay one more. They, they were telling Moshe Rabbeinu, when it came to the money, we want to stay. When it came to Har Sinai and the cloud started to move, nobody said anything. The claim was, when it came to the money, nobody wanted to move. Hasinah was the place she got the Torah. It was a very spiritual place. So they should have told Moshe, no, we, this is a holy place. We want to stay another day. Now, of course, ultimately they would have to go. But why didn't they put up a resistance when it came to leaving Hasinah? Like they put up a resistance when it came to uh, traveling from Egypt. And the difference is because when they were collecting the money, they, they didn't want to go. But they gave more credence to their money than their spiritual uh, spiritual situation. Um, again, we just now entered a new phase in the Torah. Until until this point, I mean, we did read about Chet HaEgel a while back, but now we're going to start to read about, like I said, the consecutive sins uh, uh, that B'nai Israel, uh, you know, ultimately, ultimately did. We don't like to end up on a, on a bad note, but uh, we'll just say one um, one more item. Moshe Rabbeinu then says, uh, well, at this point over here, which is the next story, this Pedasha is Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't take it anymore, it's too much. And at this point, God's going to tell Moshe, go take your student Yoshua and put your hands on him, and he's going to be the one that's going to take the uh, Jewish people ultimately into uh, Eretz Israel. Now, as much as we did, there's still a lot of the parasha ahead of us, so our members want to read. The end of the parasha talks about when Miriam spoke Lashon uh, about her brother. That's also, she became, uh, she got leprosy. That needs to be explained uh, as well. Miriam was a tzaddik. There's no way she just spoke regular Lashon If If you learn one thing from all these things that we talked about this week, learn one lesson, which I think is the most important lesson, and I said it again tonight. You can't learn, Rabbi Diamond said it uh, this week when I was in a, a meeting with him, and he said that um, you can't learn these pistokim superficially. Now, if you just think you're going to open the text and read just the English and think you understand it, it's better you don't learn, because you're going to have a very distorted view 
of Dor De'ah. This is the generation of, the, of, of, of Dor De'ah. These are students of Moshe Rabbeinu. The majority of these people were prophets. So they were on a very, very, very high level. So you can't say, oh, they were complaining about their food. So oh, yeah, I do that sometimes. I go to the restaurant. My food's cold. I said, oh, take it back. I'm not coming anymore. And nothing to do with that. This was something that was, uh, you know, not all the people and uh, the people that did it, it was, you know, uh, a, a fine, fine sin. But again, uh, I, I, the higher a person is, the more uh, fine uh, they judge. That's why there's a old custom that, um, God forbid, if a person's parents passed away, so the children fast on the yard site. Where they get that custom? Why should the children fast on the yard side? Because it says that on the yard side of a parent, they uh, rejudge the parent again, and uh, they bring him to a next level in Gan Eden. Now, the question that the capitalists ask, what do you mean they rejudge him? When he died, they judged him, and that's it. Whatever he did, he did. Whatever he didn't do, he didn't do. How, how, do, you, how do you rejudge a person? The explanation is because every year they judge him on a higher level. Because now that he's in Gan Eden, so now on the level that he's on, a lot of stuff that might not have been considered sins are now looked at with a fine-tooth comb. And then the next year he gets to the higher level, it's judged again now. So the higher a person gets, the more uh, his faults become noticeable. When the person's in the dark, like we said, you don't see anything. But as you get in the higher, higher levels, so therefore, they get him on all these other so children fast, and they give tzedakah in order that their parents should not they should they should, they should pass that new judgment in a in an easier in an easier way, and that's really the story with the generation of the midbar. Of course, they want such a high level, although the Torah writes it in a very gross way. So it looks like wow, we don't complain about food like that, you know. Whatever your wife puts on the table, you eat. You don't go and saying, oh, I remember the onions and the garlic. You think these people really care about onion and garlic and, and, and watermelons? There was something something over here uh, that was uh, deeper in their hearts that was considered a, uh, a fine sin. Now, I will tell you that in the, ten, the 40 years that they were in the Midbar, they only committed 10 sins. Now, when you read that in the Mishnah, it says the Jewish people committed 10 sins in the Midbar. And guess what? Some people commit 10 sins, 10 sins a minute. 40 years, 10 sins? That's a great record. That's one sin every four years, if you think about it. And that's 3 million people. So it's really not a bad record. If the only thing that Torah can find about these people in, in, in 40 years in the Midbar is 10 sins, that's, uh, that's something that's actually praiseworthy. So from the, from the, from the derogatory things that we're learning about, they are, we actually learn their praise. Okay, that's... Uh, that's the short of it. Uh, again, these parashiot need more analysis, but again, this we have a simple explanation. Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom.